Well, let's go and hear what the Lord has to say. Turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and our text this morning will be verses 1 to 5. As we continue our slow march through the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. Paul writes, as the Holy Spirit moves him, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we walk through this text this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, again, we pray that your Holy Spirit would go before your word and would prepare our hearts, plow the soil to, re- to take your word and to hear it and to obey it. And Lord, we know that nothing good will take place outside the moving of your Holy Spirit. And so we want to give him all glory and honor and praise this morning. And so illuminate your word, impress these truths on our hearts, Give us clarity, I pray. Protect your word and build your church this morning to the praise of the glory of your grace, I pray. Amen. Well, we live in North America and, and we've grown up in North America. And really, if we look at North America, it is one of those places where we have pushed individuality, right? It's where we have pushed it I'm not supposed to say right. We have pushed it all the way to the end where individual rights is what we're fighting for. We've taken the American Constitution and put it through our society. We have the right to life, mostly liberty, and of course, the pursuit of happiness, anything that makes us happy. And so we have... We have made a society that's, supposed, that's really held together by a constitution in the United States, which overflows into Canada again, that actually holds individuals apart. And so really what we would say the mark of someone from North America is someone who's independent, somebody who does their own thing, somebody who walks their own walks, talks their own talks, and they don't get pushed by anybody. They're unique. And of course, that has continued through our society until the point now where you can redefine yourself. You can define who you are. You can define what sex you are. You can define anything you want. And in fact, if, if you, if you uh, don't agree with that, you're often called a hater. So it should be no surprise that that kind of thinking, because it's around the church, has started to infiltrate the church, and it started to be seen within the church members itself. In fact, it it has gone so far into the church 
that we would say that the personal experience of each individual believer in the context of the corporate gathering really sees, receives precedence over the experience of the whole congregation. In other words, we come together in many churches, in many places, and you see it, and what's the primary thing? It is the experience of the individual that's most important. In other words, you, it doesn't matter what everybody else likes, it's what you like. And so you'll go to some churches and you'll see them on TV sometimes and you'll see them at other places. And you can do whatever you like. You want to bring your flute to play it in the middle of the service, you play it, right? If you want to, if you want to stand up and clap, you stand up and clap. If you want to wave your hands, wave your hands. If you want to play the accordion, that's good too, right? You want to climb over the benches, that's great. You want to stand up and give a word, go ahead and do it. Hey, how about interpretive dance? Let's do that. Because after all, the most sacred thing is what? The individual experience within the church. Now, it really doesn't matter. There really doesn't, no difference whether someone else is distracted or not. After all, you're worshiping God, and why should you be interfered with? It doesn't matter if someone else is blessed or not doesn't matter if anybody else is edified or built up. Because after all, individualum, your individual experience is more important, isn't it? Who can actually cap your worship? Well, of course, trends in, the, in society becomes trends in the church, and often these trends are out of step with God's will. And how do we know where God's will is? Well, in his word. So what does God's word have to say about this? Does God's word prioritize the personal experience of each individual or the experience of the congregation together? What does the word of God have to say? Because after all, we have to go with the word of God, don't we? And if the word of God prioritizes the individual, then we might need to be making some changes we might need to be loosen the collar a little bit and we might have to let people express themselves more. But if the Bible comes down on the other side, then we have to what? Recognize that the corporate worship is, is the most important thing. So what is the answer to this? How do we find out about this? Well, fortunately, this chapter and our passage this morning answers that direct question. It answers the question, do we prioritize personal experience of the individual or the experience of the whole congregation? And so we will get in, as we get into this chapter, we're going to, we're going to see the answer to that question. Now, it's interesting as we come to this chapter, Paul is also making, he's, he's turning the corner here. He's, he's coming around and he's finalizing what he's been talking about. If we remember all the way back to chapter 12, he began now concerning spiritual gifts. And he's, gonna, he's been addressing even in chapter 11, things that go on in within the church. And our, how we act as a church. But it's interesting all the way through chapter 12 as he begins on spiritual gifts and he begins speaking about how we are to behave. He gives no commands at all. There's no imperatives until you get to chapter to verse 31. And he says, 
and I will show you still, he says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. That's it. That's the only imperative and command in chapter 31. I want you to desire the greater gifts is really what he's saying. And then he goes all the way through chapter 13 without a single command. He just says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And he goes through love. And we saw in that chapter, we saw him speak about love. And he, and he talked about the preeminence of love. And he talked about the perfections of love. And then he talked about the permanence of love. But as we go into chapter 14, all of a sudden, chapter 14 is full of commands, full of imperatives, full of things that they are to do. And it's like Paul has set the table for what he's about to talk about. And he's now ready to go into their gathering and say, listen, this is what needs to be corrected. This is what you need to change. This is how we need to bring order to the disorder that has become the Corinthian church. But in all this disorder and all of this trouble, what's become clear in the Corinthian church is that the controversy within the church specifically revolves around the speaking gifts in the church, around prophecy in tongues. Now you might ask the question, well, why, why would these be controversial? Why would they cause trouble? But because they're the most prominent gifts in the church. They're the ones that get the most attention. This is where we spend most of our time. You're hearing from the word of God. Someone is speaking. This is where maybe if you had those gifts, you would get the most attention. And certainly what shines through in chapter 14 is that the Corinthians had an overemphasis and an overvalue of tongues during the gathering of the, of the church. They had mistaken tongues as the supreme gift, as the most valued gift. And they believed that it was the highest expression and manifestation of the Spirit. And so they had been fighting over it, trying to get preeminence in it. And so Paul corrects them in this passage with the superiority of prophecy over tongues. In fact, in this opening paragraph, Paul contrasts prophecy and tongues all the way through. He says where tongues are to be desired, prophecy is to be desired even more so. There's something better than tongues, prophecy. Where the tongue speaker speaks to God, the one who prophesies speaks to who? To men, he says. And then later on in verse 4, he says, where the tongue speaker edifies himself, the one who prophesies edifies the church. And so Paul declares in verse 5, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless, of course, he's interpreted. And so Paul is trying to make a point. You guys are out of whack you guys are overemphasizing something and you're not actually earnestly desiring the true gifts. And so Paul, again, sets, as we would say, he says, the greatest thing here is prophecy. And why is prophecy great? Because it is the one that edifies. It is, it is the one that gives it value. This is the one that makes it great. And so edification of others is a ruling principle for the corporate gathering. Did you hear that? 
The edification of others is a ruling principle for exercising gifts in the corporate gathering. Edification is what gifts are given for. That is the primary reason you are given spiritual gifts, to build the church. Now, we know we come primarily to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, but our service to others is to edify them and to build them up in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, again, is going to address the disorderliness in their gathering by applying principles concerning edification and love. And really, that should be no surprise. He's already said love is the most excellent way. Now, when we come to this passage, we're really going to see and understand that verse 1 really functions as we would call a, a purpose statement or, or the topical sentence and really sets the stage for the rest of this passage. And so Paul begins verse 1 with this purpose statement or this uh, topical sentence, and he says, pursue love, pursue love. And so he is tying this back, as it were, to earlier. He said in verse 31 of chapter 12, I will show you a what? More excellent way. And then he spends all chapter 13 showing you how important love is and describing what love is. And so he says, pursue it, pursue it. Pursue means to chase after or run after and speaks of intensity, effort, diligence, and focus. And in essence, as he gives you the imperative, he is calling you for a definite choice of your will. You must decide to pursue love and you must pursue it diligently and with focus and with effort. One writer says it means to chase something diligently until you've caught it. In other words, you don't give up until you've you've captured love and how do you do that you've got to die to get there right <laughs> you don't finish it this side of eternity in other words just keep chasing pursue it it is the primary thing it is the most important thing that we pursue love it's one of Paul's favorite word words he uses this it's the same word that is translated press on in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, this is, this is Paul picturing a runner running towards the prize to the finish line. And he says, I'm running, I'm reaching for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. I want to be like Christ. I want to be with Christ. And he says, I pursue it with all my strength. And so Paul says, pursue it. Use your will, set your will, pursue after this love because this is preeminent. Never lose it. Never lose it. So after that very strong call, don't forget about chapter 13. We have a, a, another little word here. Yet. Yet. He says, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts. That He says, yet. There's something still important here. There's something I don't want you to forget. It's not quite as important as love, because love is preeminent. It is the greatest. 
But you've got to exercise your love some way. There's got to be some expression, and here it is, desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Now again, I want us to understand this. When he says that you are to earn you yet desire earnestly des, sorry yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts he's talking here in the plural in the plural so what does he mean by that when he says i want you to pursue earnestly desire the greatest gifts he's saying you corinthians as a church put a priority on spiritual gifts He's not saying you as an individual, I want you to go find more spiritual gifts. I want you to yearn for a spiritual gift you don't have. Because he's going to say, but especially prophecy in a minute. He's not saying chase those gifts. But he's saying to them, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Put, make them a priori priority in your midst. So he says, spiritual gifts, this is the way in which love will be expressed among you. God will enable you to love one another correctly because you are expressing it in the Holy Spirit, the gifts that he's given you. And then he says this, but. But. Especially that you may prophesy. And this is really what we call a corrective. He kind of, he kind of stops and he says, but this is actually what I mean. So you'll see this in scripture where he said Jesus died, but he rose again. And so Paul here is really saying, okay, but I want, I want you to focus. I want you to focus and I want you to see, I want you to focus on one gift here for the moment. I want you to look at this, but look at what prophecy. He says, but, but this is really what I want you to pursue. But especially, particularly, I want you to pursue prophecy. And again, he's not talking individually here. He's not saying, hey, you need to, if you don't have the gift of prophecy, you better pray for it, right? You better get on your knees. If you have enough faith, it'll come. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, again, as a congregation, lift this high. This should be central to the church. This is central to what goes on. Now, we want to remember, what do we mean by prophecy? Because we want to define prophecy to make sure that we're not chasing something we shouldn't. Well, we know that in the first century, there was the gift of prophecy. In other words, the gift of, I got to say it right, foretelling. In other words, that was revelation from God that was given to particular individuals who now re revealed things from God that had not been seen before or heard before and given with the authority of God. Many of those prophecies have been recorded in the page of scriptures and we have them in our hands now. And so Paul says, listen, for the church's benefit, the best thing that you can do is to pursue prophecy because that's what you need. You need revelation from God. You need the word of God given to you. You need the truth of the word of God. And that is what should be central to your gatherings together. And so he said, earnestly desire them. Have a strong desire to go after. Make that what you want in your midst, that you may prophesy, that your church might be filled with the truth that comes from God. 
And so we know that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, those who laid a foundation of truth for us, ultimately recorded in Scripture for us. And so he says, this is what is the, should be the priority in the church, is this prophecy, is the truth of God. So after calling us to pursue love, and yet don't forget about the spiritual gifts, especially to prophesy, he now is going to give a corrective to the Corinthians. And he's going to give us four reasons why prophecy is superior to tongues. He's going to give us four reasons why prophecy is superior to tongues. And simply put, the first reason is... <laughs> Prophecy is superior because no one understands tongues. No one understands. He says in verse 2, For the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. In his spirit he speaks mysteries. And so he says the one who speaks, who speaks in a tongue, and again that's the word for language, the one who speaks in a language, a human language, does not speak to men but to God. Now, we remember all the way back, we want to establish this, tongues are languages. It began at Pentecost. We remember in Acts chapter 2, the men heard them speaking what? In their own language. And they were astounded. How that could these unlearned men really speak to them in, in their own language? And so tongues is always a known language that is spoken. And we'll, we'll, we'll look at, at a, little, a little bit farther on. And in essence, we could say that what happened at Pentecost was a reversal of the Tower of Babel. God came upon men and gave them the ability to speak languages. Languages that they hadn't learned, languages they hadn't tra trained for, but simply languages. He says, for the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men. In other words, if I get up here and I speak in Chinese and there's no one Chinese here, no one will understand. No one will understand. You will all look at me and go, Gesundheit. Uh, right? You won't, we don't know what I'm saying. You will just look. Well, many of you have that look now, but many of you will look and you will not comprehend, right? You will just, I don't understand what he's saying. I, I need someone to tell me what he's saying. He says, but he doesn't speak to men, but to God. And so we know this. In his spirit, he speaks mysteries. In other words, whatever's being revealed is a language and it's by the Holy Spirit and these men are speaking and the only one who understands is who? God. Now the reality is God doesn't need you to talk back his truth to him. He already knows. He's giving it. So this isn't seen as a good thing. This isn't seen as something that, that's great. This is seen as something that's redundant and useless. Because God does not give revelation to someone so that they can keep it to themselves. Revelation is to be shared. Now as, as we look here, he speaks mysteries. What do we mean by mysteries? Well, the scriptures, it's been clear as he's gone through 1 Corinthians chapter in 1 Corinthians 
that mysteries refer to things that have not been revealed before. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages. In other words, God has now revealed to us things that were not revealed before. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the what? The mysteries of God. He's speaking of the apostles here who are giving what revelation from God. Something that has not been revealed in eternity in, in the past is now being made clear. And so he says, no one understands. Now the idea here is not that no one in the world could understand, but no one in the congregation could understand. He's not saying this is gibberish. What he's saying is that the people present, they listen and they go, I, I don't know what he's saying. That is not a call for, for no one in the world, so it must be some type of strange language. Well, you might want to say, Well, maybe he's speaking to, to God in that angelic language that we talked about earlier, and maybe he's edifying himself. Maybe he's actually edifying himself because he's praying to God. And the idea here is, remember, this, the, the gentleman who is what? Praying does not understand what he's saying. Paul in the rest of the chapter says, if I pray what? I'm not using my, and in my spirit, I'm not using my what? My mind. And his whole, that whole section will be telling us about the necessity of understanding for edification. And we'll get into that next week. If you don't understand, you can't be edified. So this person can't be speaking to God. And, and oh, that's a good thing because now he's edified. Because the purpose of gifts was given for what? Chapter 12, right? For the common good for everyone. And so if, if gifts are given for others, then if I'm using my spiritual gift and the primary use of my gift is my own edification, it's what? It's the wrong purpose of gifts. And so Paul says, here's the problem with tongues. Nobody understands them. And if the primary thing is edification, then what good is me standing up here speaking in a foreign language that no one understands? It brings nothing. Well, then Paul says, secondly, not only does no one understand tongues, but prophecy is superior to tongues because tongues fail to edify as prophecy does. He says, but in contrast to tongues, one who prophesies speaks to men for edification. In other words, when I speak in tongues and I am speaking in the language of the people who understand it, I mean, when I prophesy, I'm not speaking in a foreign language. I'm just speaking in the, in the language of the people who are in the congregation, the people who are present. So now when, I, when that prophet now gets a revelation from God and says, thus saith the Lord, this is what he's revealed the people understand it. The people now understand it because they can hear it. They can understand it. And that's why he says he speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. 
Now, some people have tried to define prophecy as these three attributes. They want to say, well, this is what prophecy is. And so they, they say, well, it's, it's exhortation, it's, it's consolation, it's edification. And so that's why we would say that prophecy is alive and well today, because when you preach, you edify, you exhort, and you console. But this is never meant to define what prophecy is. It's actually telling you the results of prophecy. You prophesy, this happens. You prophesy, you exhort. You prophesy, it ends up in consolation. And so he's not trying to give you what and define what prophecy is. He's saying this is what happens when you prophesy. When you give the word of God, people are edified. When you give the word of God, they're exhorted. When you give, when you give the prophecy, you're given consolation. And so again, as we understand that prophecy is fore, foretelling... We understand that these, these prophets now are speaking new revelation to the early church, and the result of it is edification. In other words, they are built up. It builds the church up. It strengthens the church. It helps the church to grow. And we could almost say that edification is, is the overarching principle here, and exhortation and consolation are part of how edification works. And now exhortation means to move the human will towards a godly goal, to embolden a person to believe or in their conduct. And he says, when the word of God is given, it builds them up by calling people to be obedient and to inspire them towards obedience and to live and believe what the Lord has said. And it also consoles those who are in trouble and comforts their troubled hearts. Oftentimes when we find ourselves in distress and trouble, when we are in over our heads and we don't know where to turn, we often turn to the word of God and it consoles us. And so that was the purpose of that revelation that was given to the early church, that they could come, hear it, and be consoled. And so he says, here's why prophecy is superior. It just simply edifies. It edifies. It builds up. It doesn't need an interpreter. It doesn't need anything. It just works. Well, he says, not only are you to recognize that prophecy is superior to tongues because it It can be understood. Not only is it superior because it edifies, but he says the third reason prophecy is better than tongues is simply this. Because tongues edifies individuals and is self-centered. He says one who speaks in tongues edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Pastor, didn't you just say, didn't you just say that tongues are not to edify the individual? Yet it clearly states here that it does. We have a problem here. Well, this has been variously understood uh, that there are several different views on this. First, 
Positively, the person edifies himself even apart from comprehension. If the tongue speaker edifies himself without understanding, why not the congregation, right? You see a guy up here, he babbles a bit, he looks excited, you get excited, it works, right? Well, there's a little bit of a problem with that because Paul keeps on coming back. If I, if I don't use my mind, right? If the mind is not involved, there's no edification because his whole point is if you don't understand, if you hear, you don't understand. And he goes on here, if I speak without my mind and, and you can't say amen to the things that I say if you don't know what I'm saying, the idea is edification, you need your mind. Plus, again, we go back to the same principle. What are gifts given for? the common good that's not the common good that's your good well then he says others say the person actually understands something of what he's he's saying he, he understands a, there's some bit of it but again Paul says for if I pray in a tongue my spirit prays but my mind is what unfruitful I don't understand it so again, you go back to the point, if the mind's not involved, edification is necessary. And that's the point, whole point he's making through this whole passage. If you don't understand, you can't be edified. This is why prophecy is better than tongues. This is why he says, pursue it. And we would say this. Then thirdly, the word is used negatively. It's used negatively. In other words, it's not a good thing. In other words, it's self-edification rather than the edification of the church. It, it brings to preeminence an individual, but not in a good way. Reminds us, the word is used negatively in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We remember that. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple... Will not his conscience, if it is weak, be strengthened, the same word, to eat things sacrificed to the idols? In other words, he is what? He, he is encouraged, he is edified to eat. For through your knowledge, he will, who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. Such self-destructive edification is a sin against the weaker brother in Christ himself in 1 Corinthians 8.12. And so instead of seeing this as a positive thing, it's a negative thing because it violates, first of all, the love of law. I mean, the, violates the law of love. Okay, wow. Um, I was getting too serious. It, in effect, it, love does not what? Seek its own. It does not seek its own. And so if you are building yourself up, you are violating the very what? Law of love. Now, we want to make it clear, anytime you exercise your gifts, you will be blessed. Just, it just happens. You, you, you serve, and there's a blessing that comes with it. There's a joy that comes to it. But if the sole purpose of your serving is to get something, that is wrong. Getting a blessing is the byproduct, not the goal of exercising spiritual gifts. And so Paul says, listen, when you, the one who speaks in tongues, he lifts himself up. He makes himself preeminent, but he is not building up the church. 
And then he says, but one who prophesies edifies the church. And here's again that corporate idea. When you prophesy, when, you, when the prophet would stand and give a revelation from God, it was for the building up of the body, not the prophet. The prophet didn't get the wow. It was the re revelation of God that got the wow and the glory went to him. And so he says, listen, this is why prophecy is better than tongues. Because it, instead of in exalting the individual, and that was the problem with the Corinthians. They wanted tongues not because they wanted to glorify God, but because they wanted to be edified. They wanted to be lifted up. They wanted to be preeminent. And Paul says, actually, this is, what's, this is the goal of gifts for the common good. Again, it is for the building up of the church. And this is what happens when this takes place. So pursue it. Go after it. Make sure that you, this is what you as the Corinthian church go after. And so Paul says, this is why prophecy is superior. It is corporate. It builds up the body of Christ into the image of Jesus Christ. And that is what we must pursue. And so Paul says really here, our, our, our worship should be limited as we gather to what edifies the body. You don't come to church and freelance. You don't come to church to fulfill your need and your worship and your way of doing it. And so one must look at oneself and say, is there anything that I do when I come to church that actually keeps the corporate worship from being corporate and brings attention to me, annoys others and is a distraction? And far from the church being a gathering of individuals who get to express themselves in their own way, it should be a corporate worship and praise to the Lord Jesus Christ with consideration for the worship of others, not just what I feel like. And if this principle is kept in mind, then the church will not be fumbling along and the church won't be divided and distracted because anything that takes away from the building up of the church means anything that keeps people from distracted from being able to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, any method that is used within the church that distracts from the Lord Jesus Christ, anything that distracts, now listen to this, from the mindful worship of the heart needs to be eradicated from the church. You cannot have mindless worship in the church. It must be based upon truth. It must be based on what is going through your mind. We're not interested in you singing hymns and 7-Eleven hymns and singing loudly if it's not produced by the worship of your heart. And so anything that we do as we come together then must be mitigated by what builds up the church.
So it's not what we enjoy personally, but what is best for us as a group. So prophecy is superior to tongues because tongues no one can understand, because tongues fail to edify, because failed because tongues actually edify a person rather than the group. And then lastly, tongues are inferior to prophecy because tongues are dependent on interpretation. Verse five. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues. No, wait a minute, Paul. I just thought that you said earlier that the Holy Spirit gives out the gifts as he wills. Now, how is Paul praying under the Holy Spirit against what he already knows? Paul, pay attention. You just need to flip back in your own book, right? Well, what is he saying? How can he he pray against the revealed will of God? Well, this is what we call hyperbolic concession. I'm not going to say it again. A hyperbolic concession. In other words, he's, he's expressing a wish, but he knows it's not true. He knows it can't be true. It's doomed to them by possibility and fulfillment. It just can't happen. It's the same thing he said in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. Yet I wish that all men were even as myself. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and one in another. Now, here Paul's speaking about wanting to be celibate. Now, I'm glad he didn't get his wish, I'll be honest. Right? But he he wanted everyone to be celibate and single like himself. Well, Paul knew that for God's plan, that what? Most people were to get married. Right? He, 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 Paul had read Genesis. He understood that God said, go and what? Rule and subdue the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. This is what you are to do. But Paul just liked being single. Poor guy. But he, 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 but he says, I wish this. So he, he knows what God's will is. He's not praying against God's will. But he's basically going, just in case you're downplaying tongues. Urch, I just want you to know, t- the tongues themselves are okay. You might think that I'm down on tongues. And you might think that I'm just kicking them to the curb and saying they're, they're no good. But he says, that's not what I'm saying. In fact, I wished you all spoke in tongues if that was God's will, if that's what he had for you. But even more, he says, than that, that you would prophesy. I wish even harder that each one of you could prophesy. And he, again, he knows not everybody's going to have the gift of prophecy. But he says, for you as a church, this is what I desire. This is what's necessary. This is what is best for you. And then he says in strong language, and greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues. He says there's more value to it. It's just better. The one who speaks in tongues is actually, I mean, who prophesies is actually able to communicate with the people in the church. He's able to get truth across, and that's what the church needs. And then he adds this little phrase, unless he interprets. In other words, tongues is as valuable as prophecy if it's what? Interpreted. If it's interpreted. 
And so he says, there's nothing wrong. And we remember and for, at this time in the church, tongues is alive and well. Right? This is an early book written in the church. Tongues is still going on in the first century. So Paul is speaking to a very practical matter to the Corinthian church. But he says, the value in speaking in tongues comes not in being able to speak in tongues, but to be, have it interpreted. And he says, unless he interprets him, unless he, he interprets it. So it seems like maybe God could give him the gift of interpretation or someone else could give him the interpretation. But the reality, it was of no value unless he what? Interpreted. Unless it's interpreted. There has to be meaning. There is no value in speaking any language or even gibberish unless it can be interpreted. And we remember it when we were looking back farther, he warned them. And we talked about how they were led away with, with mute idols and how that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed and how they were used to speaking in pagan babble. That pagan babble was not coming from the Holy Spirit. And so it confounds me that after him actually warning against, you're sounding like a pagan, you're trying to make all the speaking go by, that now we want to inject into this chapter someone speaking in babble because he says he's speaking to God or in the, in the language of angels when it's very clear that that kind of babbling is actually not coming from the Holy Spirit but is actually something from their pagan religion. And so it must be interpreted. It must have, it must have sense in order to edify. And he says, again, interpret the tongues, why? So that the church may receive edifying. And we just have to be so clear, there is no edification without understanding. It must be interpreted. It must be understood. And everything about Christianity goes through your mind. Think on these things. Do this. Whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is pure. Think, think, think. You must go through the mind. You cannot escape the mind. I want to say it very clearly. If you are not going through your mind, you are not going through God's prescribed way. And you are involved not in Christian worship, but in pagan ritualism and paganism. There's no other way to put it. You must go through the truth of the word of God. And it is there that we receive edification. And so Paul says, I would, this is what needs to be central. Now, for some of you, if you're sharp, and I know there's a few of you, I'm not one of them, you're going to be saying, but you know what, pastor, you just define prophecy as, as revelation from God. Revelation is closed. Scripture is written. What does this have to do with any of us? Well, there's several things. We may not have prophecy anymore, but we do, what was, when he listed the gifts and he gave us the gifts, he said what? Teachers, right? When, when, he, said, when he was laying out for us what gifts were most important, and he, and he gave us that list, he says, 
The next on the list is what? Prophets, they are not all what? Teachers. So if it's not available to us, then let's go up, let's go down the list to the next one. And who teaches you, right? So every time that we sit under the teaching of the word of God, we are to what? Prioritize that because we are now hearing the revelation that has been given to us so that we can hear from God and we can have understanding. And so teachers now reveal that revelation of the prophets as they teach. And so when we get together, then we should be prioritizing the word of God because that's the revelation given by the prophets. And when we do that, then we will have proper worship within the church and then the church will be built. And so we as a church must treasure the teaching of the word of God because it reveals the mind of God to us through the word of God. And so we will be built up. And so we don't get to take verses one to five and say, yeah, that's for them, right? It's still for us. We still must function, pursue the gifts for the edification and the building of the body and to put our agenda to the side for the greater good of the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we do thank you for your word. We again thank you for its clarity. We thank you for its ability to instruct us and to encourage us, to correct us, and to build us back up. And so, Lord, I pray that we would go forth rejoicing in hearing your word, that we would be those who would put you central to the church because we are hearing from you through your word, and that we are building up the body together as we exercise our gifts. May we always recognize our priorities. And may we always edify one another rather than prioritize our own desires. I pray this for your honor and for your glory. Amen.